Okay, and welcome to another episode of Sharp Edge Changing the Narrative Talking Series. Um, we're back for another one, a special guest we've got here with us um, this time. Um, goes by the name of K the PT. Um, you might have seen him trending on your timelines and his videos on YouTube and other platforms. Um, and it's it's something different today. It's something where we're going against the conventional grain. It's not about um, commercial or or kind of privatized jobs. Now we're we're going a bit more deeper into the nitty gritty, wouldn't you say, Ed? I completely agree. I completely agree. But I think this is needed. Um, this is definitely needed. And um, I'm really excited um, to uh, sort of dive into this conversation. No, 100%. I feel it's a testament that, you know, we, we cater to everybody within society and not everybody's got this shiny persona where they've gone to uni and whatever. But, you know, it's about working on yourself day in, day out and trying to be that best person you can be. And I feel the person who we've got on now really encapsulates that. So without further ado, I, I, I want to get K to PT to introduce himself and, and just sit, tell us a little bit about him and where he's from. Yeah. So yeah, I'm K to PT 19 on Instagram. And yeah, like we said, I've been putting my stories out there and letting everybody hear my stories, you know, to make the change to burst that bubble and the perspective of this road life and this gang culture and everything else that goes with it. So yeah, that that's my aim and that's what I've been doing. I'm Happy to be on the show. That. that you've um, got me on. So yeah. No, I really appreciate you coming on. I think uh, your story is uh, something that a lot of people need to sort of hear. I think what you were just saying in regards to sort of the gang culture and really people understanding sort of the magnitude of what they're actually getting involved in, and um, really for young people to really grasp. Um, the seriousness of getting involved in something like that. But uh, I'm sure that's going to be pretty much the bulk of this conversation, I'm sure. But um, one thing that we love to do at Sharp Tedge here is really sort of go back and start at the big beginning because I think you need to always set the narrative. It's all about changing the narrative, which we're about, but it's all about really setting, setting the narrative, yeah. Really understanding where this all started. So uh, KWT, if you don't mind, just really going back to the beginning and uh, really giving us an insight into so your upbringing, your humble upbringing, which I'm sure, um, and giving us a real insight into that. Yeah, so um, like I said, born in the 80s, grew up in the 90s, went to primary school in the 90s, and then I went to secondary school in 2000. So throughout throughout high school, everything was, it was, it was all right. Do you know what I mean? Primary school, everything was all right. But then for me, it's when I got to about, year nine that things slowly started to change do you know what I mean it's almost like school couldn't keep my attention do you know what I mean it's like they couldn't really keep my attention and I wasn't I was getting less and less interested as time went on and for me it's like the reason why that started to happen was because I was getting shown love on the roads from like my older peers and they didn't go to school, but I see them out on the streets doing what they're doing every day. And then I started thinking like, so if they're doing that, why am I doing this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's yeah. good. You, you, you talk about them showing you love it, it. Like 
was was that something where the olders were showing you love but the teachers weren't showing you any love in school so it was an easy kind of decision to say i'm gonna go where love's being shown yeah most definitely because like for me i respond well to praise do you know what i mean so it's like when i'm in school all the teachers seem to be doing is telling me off and it's like you're always quick to draw me out on the negative side of things. So it's like, oh, you was misbehaving, you was doing this, you was doing that, and whatever, oh, you're disrupting the class. And then, but then on the flip side of that, when I'm at home or on the streets or whatever, it's like I'm being praised for the things that I'm doing. And at this point, I wasn't committing crimes. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, I wouldn't say I was committing crimes, but I wasn't involved in gang activity. So for me, it was almost like when my older peers see me doing things on the roads, they was quick to praise me for the things that I'm doing, saying, oh, like, oh, you're a mad kid and you're a bad man and all them kind of things. But then when I'm in school, it's like I'm not getting shown that same respect. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. But you talk about your olders as well um, in this. And uh, what is what? What do you feel as if their role was in, in playing and getting you involved in sort of um, the lifestyle that you sort of chose sort of back then? And uh, how do you feel as if having a mentor or someone older than you who's able to really share light, shed light on certain experiences or just give you that sort of guidance that you need? How important do you feel as if that role is in general in a young person's life? That's, I believe mentoring and having like positive older influences in your life is very important because for me, like I said, in school, they was always putting me down and drawing me upon the negative side of things. But then when I'm outside and my older peers are saying whatever they're saying to me, as much as now I can see it was from a negative perspective and a negative angle, they were still showing me that praise. But then there was this one man called Kevin in the youth club and Kevin would always sit me down and talk to me. So he's giving me that time of day. But when I leave the youth club, I also leave Kevin. Do you know what I mean? So then it's like, I'm not getting that praise anymore. Do you know what I mean? So it's almost like I forget everything what Kevin said to me because now I'm with negative influences. So yeah, I strongly agree that mentoring schemes and having that, in place will deter a lot of youths from committing crimes and this lifestyle what they believe is um the new in thing yeah yeah that is interesting that is really interesting i mean when i look at even when i resonate so with my um sort of upbringing it's like i suppose yeah you you have them olders there and essentially to a certain extent other than so your parents and certain family members, that's all you really have to really learn anything. So I completely understand sort of what you mean um, in that regard. But just to sort of continue touching on that point, um, was it just that as well, or sort of on a personal note as well, did you feel as if like there wasn't anything sort of for you to do? And as a result, that was the only way that you could see yourself sort of earning or being sort of accepted or having a sense of purpose. I mean, did you 
did you ever have anything else, for example, whether it was football, whether you felt as if you could pursue a certain career or was it merely just you saw this space as well as the older sort of praising you as well and thought, this is my path? Yeah, it was more like, for me, it's more, I strongly believe that there's not many activities for the youths in certain areas. Do you know what I mean? It's only like during the six weeks holidays where the youth club might put trips on. But at the same yeah. time, it's like if you're coming from like, mm. for me, it's like, I believe growing up in, in certain areas where there's not many projects for the youth so for us, it's like in the six weeks holidays is the only time that the youth club would put trips on. But then if you're coming from a household where you can't afford the expensive trips, you kind of got no other option but the streets. So if you're just on the streets hanging out with even like a group of kids, because I, like I said, I didn't roll with gang members at this point. I just used to hang around with kids of my age group. But then being on the streets, we would see these older peers of ours. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I come home from school at about three o'clock, let's say, yeah? Get home from school, get changed, and then I'm out. Then I'm coming home at about nine, ten o'clock. Do you know what I mean? So by the time I get in at nine, ten o'clock, all I'm doing is eating food and going to bed. So I'm not really seeing my mum. So now, your parents stop having that influence on you because you're just kind of out on the streets. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the problem that we see is that the parents are working um, in the evenings or, you know, we're from working class backgrounds. So the parents are trying yeah. to work as many hours as possible. So it, it, it makes it that bit easier to kind of bypass your parents to be able to say, ah, oh, kind of avoid those conversations because they may be working and, and whatever else. Um, but something I'm, I'm interested in as well is that you spoke about just being in a group um, on the street as in like not really getting up to badness or whatever. So where where's the line where we went from being on the streets to being on the road kind of thing, if that makes sense? The transition, it was from about the age of 15, 16 is when I started getting involved in like gang activity. But before that, I can't stress enough like, as much as I'm saying that's when I started the gang activity, we were still committing crimes, but not from a gang perspective. So from the age of 13, I bought my first car. So then we, me and two of my mates were sat in this car. And then we said, like, we're not going to go home until we learn how to drive. So we was still being naughty kids. But from the nah, you guys are serious. From from <laughs> thirteen, I was still trying to bust yeah, yeah, yeah. wheelies at them ages. There, I wasn't even <laughs> thinking about cars. <laughs> yeah, but that, oh, that's wow. the same thing again. It's that same thing again. Because now we're watching our older peers, so our older peers are doing that as well. Do you know what I mean? So living in an environment where we could have took, let's say, five mobile phones and an overhead projector and swapped that for a car. So that's the environment we was coming from. You know that's what I mean? mad. So then, when we're doing these kind of things, the old, that's why the older peers are looking at us and saying, oh, you lot are crazy. But at the time, I'm thinking, this is, this is just me. But now when I look back in hindsight, it's almost like 13-year-old driving a car. 
Do you get what I'm saying? So then then made the transition from that to the roads because now me driving up and down the streets turned into me giving people a lift. So now I'm giving people a lift and then then it turns into, oh, just drive us here and park up there. Then they'll come back with stuff. So obviously I'm not stupid, so I know they've done a robbery or done a burglary or something. And then before you know it, now I'm involved in that. But I still didn't class myself as a gang member. Yeah, that's serious. I mean, just really listening to that and uh, putting things into context, like what you're saying, 13 driving a car. And I suppose obviously you're saying that at the time you didn't really see that as something that was sort of abnormal. You just thought that that was a norm. You saw the oldest um, is insane. But um, that's such a young age to obviously sort of be getting involved in such um, sort of crimes. But I think that's interesting because I think we say all the time with some of the kids that we work with, um, and is is essentially your attitude with certain things would ultimately result in your attitude towards other things that you do. I mean, sometimes when we're even talking to kids about sort of school, for example, and um, oh, I don't like that subject, sir. Um, but then you'll take that same attitude into other other subjects, and I think it's similar to what you're saying around the fact that these were sort of paid crimes, but you, it, they were still crimes ultimately. And as yeah. a result, obviously that led to then sort of you getting involved in much serious crimes that obviously led to um, sort of the consequences which um, were faced. But please do continue with regards to sort of how things then got serious. And, and I think when you do explain it, one thing that I'm, key to, I'm keen to try and sort of find out is uh, sort of your psyche around this as to whilst this was going on, I mean, what yeah. was your thought? It feels as if like, right, this is a madness or were you sort of relishing it? Were you excited? Um, what was even your thought process whilst, whilst a lot of this was happening? With the gang activity or just like everything on a whole? Just I everything, suppose, I think, maybe. Yeah. Just from the, the yeah. progression, because you, you, you're speaking about the cars and stuff and then it almost sounds like it's a snowball effect where we've gone, we've started off a bit small and then we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Did you did you yeah, feel yeah. like um, you were getting bigger with it as well? Like, was there anything to say, oh man, this is kind of mad, we might go to jail or something? Or was that, was it almost that utopia thing like, no, nah, we're good, we'll just, we'll just bust this a couple of times and then we're good? Yeah, no, nah, I'm glad, I'm so glad you asked that question because this is a point that I can't stress enough. It's like, like we said, as petty as the crimes was, they're still crimes, yeah? So we started off driving cars. Then, like I said, that turned into giving people a lift. Then he was getting out doing what they was doing. And as it went on, then I got involved. And it, it kind of gradually grew with time. So then, as the crimes... Yeah, grew, interesting. I started to feel like I was growing... Do you know what I mean? So then when I feel like I'm growing with it, it's almost like, now you definitely can't tell me anything. So this is where my attitude and behaviour got me kicked out of school. Because I'm thinking like, I'm looking at this teacher thinking, you don't even know what I had done last night. So you definitely can't speak to me. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, I, I almost mad, got too big mad, for my boots. Mad, mad, That's mad. exactly what happened to me. I got way too big for my boots bit off a lot more than I can chew. But then at the same time, the whole prison side of it, it went from it went from being a kid that was scared of the police to me not caring. So it's like, if we're driving around and we're in, like, say, a police chase or something, 
in my head, I'm sat there thinking, well, such and such is in this prison, such and such is in that prison. So if I go jail, I want to go there because I like him a lot more. So the police didn't scare us and neither Bro, did jail. This is mind boggling. Yeah, so what 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 there's nothing to deter me from committing any crime. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm thinking of it from a perspective of say us three are friends, and I know two of my friends are sat in jail. Why am I gonna be scared to go to jail? My friends are in jail, I've not seen him for years, so yeah, I can go to jail and go and see my man. Facts, 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 yeah. And that's what and that, it was for me. So, like, this is this is the point I try to stress so much in today's, this movement, what I'm trying to push. It's like, you can't, it's not, when we was in primary school, they used to take us to um, this, like, abandoned um, school thing and they used to put on, like, workshop days and the police would be in there. And, but they, they weren't dressed as police, they were dressed in own clothes. So, like, you'd be in this classroom, we're all playing. And then a door would open and then a man would come out of that door and be like, oh, do you want some sweets? Come in here. Now, everything they've been teaching us in this workshop was strange, stranger danger and these kind of things and don't approach like strange people. Do you know what I mean? So then from that perspective, it's like I grew up as like scared of the police. Do you know what I mean? Like I was, I was that kid. If my mum says to me, the police are going to come and get you, like I'm going to get scared. But then it turned into the transition then became like, I'm not scared of jail. All half my friends are in jail. So he went jail. He survived. I know I'm better than him. So I'm not scared of jail. And I'm definitely not scared of the police. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So so when did you when did you start getting onto the police's radar as well? What was that the same kind of um were you on the radar from the car stuff or or was it progressive? Like the police knew you like, oh yeah, um, we picked him up at 13, we picked him up at 16, we picked him up at 18 kind of thing. Or was it like yeah. you did a big madness and then they, and then you went away. What, what, what kind of was your, was the relationship with the police like? So they, they kind of knew you from the area you were from, like you were one of the main people. Uh, I don't know. I think over here they have, um, circle where where they see your face on your name and they know like ah oh, we need to keep an eye on this one what what was your kind of relationship with 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 the police like my relationship with the police it was like at first it was me being a kid so where i'm a kid on the street so they have this thing called section 60 i'm not sure if you're aware of it yeah but a section 60 is it's some of that the police can put in place where they can stop and search anyone. So the first time I got arrested was 14 for um, criminal damage. I smashed a bus window. So, it, it, yeah, the crimes did gradually grow at the same time that I was growing, if you know what I mean. But they knew who I was from the area because we was them local kids from the area. Like, we dressed all in black. We had gloves on, like, all them kind of things. So the police would see us and then stop us and search us, but they never really found anything on us. It's just stupid things like you might get caught with a screwdriver and then get nicked for um, going equipped and little things like that. But yeah. that was, it was more my behaviour. 
Do you know what I mean? And that's that's another thing I can't stress enough to like today's generation. So, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, we was targeted by the police and we was this. Either uh, I grew in like crime wise, so did my offenses and my offending behavior or my offending pattern. But it's like the Section 60 scheme, that's how the police knew who I was. And like I said before, my family name, like Proverbs, was a known name in the area where I was hanging around. So when I'm saying to them, oh, I'm Kieran Proverbs, they're saying, oh, so are you relation to blah de blah Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I'm like, yeah. yeah. Now, because I'm related to Mr. X, they're automatically assuming that I'm up to something, but like an idiot, when they're saying to me, like, oh, are you any relation to him? I'm like, yeah, I am what? Do you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm thinking yeah. that that gives me status. Do you know what I mean? When really all I was doing was putting myself on their radar. So yeah. I put myself on the police's radar. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. That is interesting. That is interesting. And and I suppose with that, I'm guessing that obviously came with the fact that you were obviously excited about all of this and you were obviously relishing this. And this is something that you felt as if was pretty much your life, no? Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's like, I'm not going to sit here and try and like downplay the situation or start saying, oh, we grew up, we didn't have anything, so I had to go out to rob and I didn't have no this, so I went and sold weed and all them kind of things. It was like, me, personally, like, this came from me. Do you know what I mean? Everything I said, it came, everything that happened to me came from me. I can't blame my peers. I can, if anything, I was the red flag in that situation. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, I was the one that sat there and thought to myself, like, oh, I'm going to start my own gang. So then everybody started following what I was doing. Do you know what I mean? And that's where it all came from for me. And and just just quickly as well, sorry to, to interrupt you. What what were you trying to get out of this? Were you trying to get some sort of acceptance? Were you trying to, you know, say the status quo isn't for you? So you want to make things your own kind of way? What what was your thinking behind like you want to make your own gang and you want to do certain is it because you wanted like a flashy life, you wanted the cars, you wanted the money? Was it because, like you said before, school wasn't showing you that kind of attention, so you wanted it a different way? What What's the reasoning behind why you wanted this? So if I asked yeah. um, like 14, 15 year old you, why are you doing this? What what would be, what would have been your answer then and you now? What, yeah, you know what it is for me? Yeah, and I'm not going to lie to you. What it was for me, like I said, I just wanted that praise. So getting that praise for me was my thing. Do you know what I mean? Like I wasn't money motivated or anything because... Like I said, I didn't sell drugs. I never sold drugs. Even before I went to prison, I never sold drugs. My thing was more praise, like praise me for what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? Like I just want you to praise me. And it's like, as well, I always try to go against the grain. So like I said, the main gangs in my area was two of the main gangs in Manchester. But I looked at that and I could have been a part of that. But it's like, nah, I'm not doing that. I want to go against the grain. Do you know what I mean? And I'm going to do it this way. So then I don't have to answer to nobody. It's almost like I'm doing what I want to do. Like, you can't tell me what to do. Like, I'm doing what I want to do. And that's the same attitude what got me kicked out of school. 
And that's the same attitude what got me sent to prison for 12 years. Wow. That is, yeah, that is really interesting. That is really interesting. And I suppose that nicely leads us on to so what you've just sort of highlighted about so you obviously then um, going into prison for for 12 years. I think what I want to know is uh, not to go into depth as to what you've done or anything else. I think anyone can really obviously see that with some of your other interviews. But um, one thing that I really want to touch on, and I think you highlighted this point earlier about your your narrative around what you're trying to do at the moment and really sort of shed light on sort of how serious um, sort of getting involved in gang life is and gang culture is, is um, how dangerous was this? Like getting involved um, sort of the older you're getting, how dangerous was this? Or did you ever see it as something that was dangerous? But um, yeah, we completely understand the seriousness because of the consequences, but how dangerous was this as well at certain times um, in the evening, for example, in Manchester? It was very dangerous, very dangerous. Like this is, that's a point I can't stress enough as well. It was very dangerous, but at the time, like for me, it's mad. Cause then as I started to get older, I started to see it for what it really is. But now I'm in the thick of it. So I've kind of got no overall dangerous to the point like there was a time in 2006 where I had almost three or four gangs after just me one. Do you know what I mean? All my friends had gone to prison. So it was just me one. At that point there, like as I got older and doing what I'm doing, I started to see it for what it really is. Because... In 2006, all my friends was was in prison, basically. So it's just me on the rolls by myself. And at this point, it was very dangerous for me. Like days, like days of tick for tack shootings and all these kind of things. Like it was very dangerous to the point people's parents would say, "Don't be hanging around with him," because I was that name. Like there was rumours in the area that people had money on my head and all them type of things. So, yeah, it was very dangerous at that point. And then that's kind of led up to all the events what took place. And and so, just to ask, what, you were never phased by none of this, no? What did you say, sorry? You were never phased by any of this? Were you not sort of phased at any point, No. Were you scared? Like, yeah, were no, you going out no, and I you were... You were... No, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say, like, it was more... It was more like I was ready for whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, as as mad as that sounds, as, as a 17-year-old kid, I was almost like I was ready for whatever. So I'm out there and it's like, I'm saying I'm going to protect myself to the fullest. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to let anything happen to me. Do you know what I mean? And then that's when I start. But like I said before, that's when I started to see it for what it really is. But it's like now it's too late. You've clocked in now. So now you've got no. So what started off as like thrill seeking has turned into survival mode and protect yourself by any means. Do you know what I mean? And then you've not really got. I never had like a big gang behind me at this point, because like I said, all my friends was in jail. So now it's like I'm in this situation, but I suppose that's the consequences of starting my own gang. Do you know what I mean? Like I've had to take the world on my shoulders now at this point. 
So I couldn't really complain to anyone. But as far as saying was I scared, like I wasn't, I was never really scared, but I was overly paranoid. And now I'm still paying that price to till this day. Okay. Okay. And I think it's just an appreciation of going from 13 to, to about 16, 17 from taking cars to being on the stand for like a conspiracy um, to an M charge and attempted M possession of like a firearm um, suspicion of endangering life. Like that's, that's only a couple of years. And to see that progression, that trajectory, um, do you think there could have been anything in place that could have that could have halted this? So you spoke about is there anything that could have been done or or um, an intervention kind of thing? Um, looking back in hindsight, that you feel like if this person kind of came into my life or if there was this available, it might have deterred me a bit. The only thing that would have, I believe, saved me at that point is moving away. Do you know what I mean? And you know what? As mad as it sounds, yeah? My sentence saved me. Like, that's me being real. Like, my sentence saved me because the year 2007, I was 18. And that's when I got... No, what? I need to... I need to actually... I need to take it back. So, in 2006 was when the offence took place. But then I was on bail and I was... But then I didn't go to prison for it until 2007. So in 2006, when it first happened, I got bail for a long time because the witnesses didn't pick me out in an ID parade and other things happened. And I didn't get charged with it at that point. So then I was on bail. So now you see the fact that that happened. I felt even more untouchable. Do you know what I mean? So now now it's like, right, what? Attempted murder, I just got bail in the same day and left to walk out the police station. So that was that was almost like it it started to feed my ego. Do you know what I mean? Like what? They didn't, they didn't want a snitch on me. They didn't want this. They didn't want that. So now I felt untouchable. Do you know what I mean? So then from that point onwards, it was like that's when everything started to get a bit crazy. And that's what I was talking about before when I said like I was on my own just doing everything, do you know what I mean, on my own. But then, yeah, like I said, in 2007, when I actually went to prison, I believe my sentence saved me. It did, because I strongly suspect if I didn't go to prison when I did, I would have been doing a a full life sentence or potentially dead. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. And that that leads me on to, to almost two more questions. Um, the first one is when the judge sits you down and, and says, um, we're giving you X amount of years. And I'm, I, I, I think you said before 12 years. What's your thought process then? Is it like a rewind version where you're looking at everything? Or is it that thing where you're just like you know what, I have to ride this and I'm going to go see my boys. And then the second part is that first night when you hit hit the jail cell. Yeah, because um, what happened is we we get... What, what happens is when you're on like a big charge, nine times out of ten, you'll get remanded. So you'll get arrested for it. A few days later, charged. And then after you get charged, then 
you go to the magistrate's court and then the magistrate will remand you into custody. So I got remanded. So my first night in jail, it's mad because it's almost like I was sat there thinking, you know what? As crazy as it sounds, yeah, I felt relieved. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like I'm going through all these things outside and now I'm in prison, I'm safe. Like the worst thing that could happen to you in prison is you get stabbed, but no one's really got the intention. I know some people have lost their lives in prison, but in my opinion, like no one's really has the intent to kill. Do you know what I mean? So whereas when I was outside, people are trying to kill me. But then when I've gone to prison, it's almost like I felt a bit safe. So it's almost like a breath of fresh air. Like, oh, here we go. I've not been able to chill for years. Do you know what I mean? And then when I got sentenced, Crazy. mad thing as well, because of my mentality and my immaturity, it's almost like I was telling people, because right, I got an IPP sentence. So with an IPP sentence, that's indeterminate sentence for public protection. So what the judge will say to you, the judge will say, if I was giving you a determinate sentence, which is a straight sentence and you do half, he says, I would have give you 24 years. So I'm going to half that, which is 12, and then put an IPP on it. So now you have to do a minimum of 12 years before you can go for parole. Crazy. With my mindset and the way I was behaving at the time and the way I was thinking, I was thinking 12. Like I was telling people, oh, I'm looking at a 20. I'm looking at a record 20 and I'm looking at this and I'm looking at that. So when I've got back after my sentencing, I'm telling people I got a 24. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm wishing 24 years on myself just to make it look like I was that bad boy. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Wow. That's, tell me a little bit more about that because it's, it's crazy. Because on one hand, you're saying that you're relieved to sort of be here in a space where you don't have to look at your back, but at the same time, you still want to maintain this, obviously, image. But ultimately, the question I have is, is it more down to the fact that you're just relieved and you're just like, you know what, now I'm in a space where I can just chill and not look behind my back? Or do you still want to really maintain this, I'm still the guy, I'm still the guy that no one can mess with? Yeah, nah, you see, I am... Um... Yeah, at that at that point, for me, it was more like an image now. Subconsciously, I didn't want it anymore. I didn't want it. I'm not afraid to say that. I didn't have... Because oh, another point I didn't make, I got shot when I was 17. So after, after I got shot, that's when um, like I started to realise that, you know what, it's real now. So then, when I've gone... To prison, it was more like an image. Do you know what I mean? But subconsciously, like, I didn't want it anymore. Like, I always had the intention of moving away from it. But it was almost like I had to keep up that image because now it's no longer Kieran Proverbs. It's more like Kieran Proverbs as a name brand. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, if anything goes on, like I had, now I've got younger kids coming up to me saying to me, like, oh, such and such done this to me, then I'm saying like, all right, so what do you want me to do? Do you want me to deal with it? Or do you want to deal with it? But if you're dealing with it, I'm coming with you. I'm not sending you on your own. I'm coming with you. 
but it's more like that would, for me it was more like an image so mm. when I got to prison like I said I'm trying to keep that name and image and bravado alive do you get what I'm saying where subconsciously I didn't want it no more I think it's important now then to probably stress when did the mindset change when was the, was that feeling uh, you spoke about the relief of not being being on the roads and I, I've seen some of your videos of of what you went through inside um when did did the did the penny drop so some would say when, when did you feel like you know what this just isn't worth it like this isn't this isn't this isn't who I really am when when, when did that point come for you you know the maddest part about that? The penny dropped for me in about 2007. So in 2007, I had in my head that I was done with this. But I didn't gain the confidence for that until 2012. That's being real. And I've I've never I've never told anyone that before. Like I always wanted, I wanted out of it. Do you know what I mean? Like I thought, you know what? This is, it's dead now. Like it, there's no fun. Do you know what I mean? Now it's like a lot's going on. Like I actually, after I got shot, I sat there and I thought to myself, I could actually, you know what happened? A friend, a, a close friend of mine, his mum spoke to me when I came out of the hospital after I got shot. And she, um, yeah, so she said, she said something to me and it stuck with me for a long time. And it's like, I was sat there thinking about it. And then, but at the same time, when she's left, now my bravado is overpowering everything. And this image I'm trying to portray is overpowering everything. So now, rather than listening to what she's saying and making that move, I'm more thinking about retaliation. So now I'm focusing on retaliation and everything else. So like, like an idiot, I've come out of the hospital after like, Two major operations, my legs in a um, splint like a plastic cast, and I am out on pedal bike, looking to retaliate. But that's not me wanting to retaliate. That's more the image I'm trying to portray, and my bravado. Do you know what I mean? And my immaturity. But then I gained the confidence to stand up and say, like, listen, I'm done with this. You know, like, I'm done with it in 2012. That's when like the change started to take place. I still was a bit rough around the edges. What happened in 2012? The then started what to gave take you that? In 2012. What's that? Sorry. Um, no, I said the change started to take place in 2012. Like in 2012, I had the confidence to stand up and say, like, look, listen, I'm done with this. Now, like, as much as I was still a bit rough around the edges. But that's when the, tra the the transition started to happen in 2012. Wow, interesting. And I suppose, yeah, no, I, I completely understand understand that. And I think with with that transition comes with obviously the person that we see today. Um, and I suppose now moving forward, um, what is what is your plan? I know you touched on it earlier. But what is your plan sort of moving forward with regards to sort of obviously this change that you personally had, but on a sort of bigger scale, what is the aim? My aim is to tell my story and as many kids, not even just kids, as many people that can hear my story and hear me and think, you know what, 
I want that. I want to make that change too. Do you know what I mean? Like as many people that I can kind of show my story and then hear what I'm saying and then want to make that change as well. Like that's my aim. Like to get as many people just, even if you don't make the change, just think about it. Just listen to my story. Like before it's too late. Do you know what I mean? And because yeah. there'll be loads of people out there now that it's not too late, you know. Because then another thing that we can't stress enough is like, People think they can go to jail and come out with a badge of honour. No, you're going to go to prison and come out and have to start all over again. Like, when I when I was doing what I was doing on the streets, nobody told me about a credit file. Nobody told me that if you want to get um, a private landlord's going to start requesting um, your credit file and references and guarantors and all these kind of things. Like, I didn't know all this. So now I've come out of prison after 12 years and it's almost like I've had to start all over again from mm. the age of 30. Like, so from the age of 30, now I'm having to focus on building up a credit file, getting enough like references and like, you know, positive things behind me just to live basically. Yeah. No, that's crazy. And, and to stress that again, because some people feel like at the age of 18, 19, that they're out of it. Like, you know, they've, they've messed up a few times and they feel like they're, 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 they're out and they, they have no choice of, of changing their life around. What, what would you say to them as well? Bro, I, I'm starting from the age of 30. I wish I was 18 again. and knew everything I know now. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's never too late. Never too late. Do you know what I mean? That's like saying somebody got a 20-year sentence at the age of 20, so they're coming out when they're 40. So what is, does that mean their life's over? Nah. Uh, you do, but this is the point. I can't stress enough. You're going to have to start again. So start that now when you're 18. So then when if, if you put all the work in that you can put in now when you're 18, think about where you'll be when you're 30. Because it's going to have to happen. Yeah. It's going to have to happen. No, it's true. It's the, it's the you, long game as 20, well. I think 30, some... It's going to have to happen. Mm-hmm. No, for real. Do, do, what, what, um, I even lost my words for a second there. I was just going to say, <laughs> I was just going to say, um, how, how, how would you change the narrative? If you're talking to a young you right now, how do we stop you from 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 what you've kind of gone through? What what is the main advice? How how do we stop other young people being lured into the life and living a lifestyle like this? Is it need more teaching? Do we need to educate the parents? Like, do we need to just focus on the child himself and pick out the best points? Like, what what would you say is it we need to do to change the narrative? You know what it is, bro. Yeah, and I'm not gonna lie to you. And this ain't me like clout chasing or anything, yeah? They need a lot more people, influential people, telling these stories like myself, like Tricky, like Lippy, like all these people that are on social media with, they've got a voice. So it's like, if I'm stood there in front of you as a 31-year-old man and you're a 15-year-old kid, I'm showing you your future. Do you know what I mean? I don't need a crystal ball. I'm showing you your future, bro. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Tricky showing people their future. Lippy showing people their future. Margs, all these people on social media that we all can't be telling lies. 
Do you know what I mean? If if it's only one person saying it, then yeah, maybe he's just bitter. Maybe he's. A, I've never met none of these people a day in my life. But the one thing we've got in common, other than our skin colour, is the fact of we're all telling the same story and we're all from different areas. We're not friends. Like I've never met these people a day in my life, but we've connected by telling the same story. So I feel if a lot more people get the confidence to tell their story, we can change the way. Nah. No, 100%. I completely agree with that. And and I think it goes back to I think what we were talking about off offline earlier, about the fact that a lot of us are obviously first and second gen and we're always learning. Um, I think ultimately we need to understand that the, that's the only way we ever will learn by sort of listening to other people's stories, really gaining the experience, really taking it seriously. I think that's one thing as well is sometimes we don't take these things seriously. I feel as if we want to go down and uh, make that mistake, but really take note of what some of these people are saying and what um, what you're saying today. And I think the seriousness of what you're saying, um, I think needs to be sort of expressed and uh, taken sort of into account here. This is some serious issues we're talking about, life-changing issues. Um, there's a saying that I live by, and uh, just that when, if you're in a situation, this is not sort of things that happened sort of yesterday or last week. These are decisions that you made sort of a number of years ago that has now resulted in the position that you are today. Yeah, so it's course. imperative that you set yourself up. And I think this is why we do need role models and mentors. And I strongly do believe that sort of our role as Sharp Edge and your role um, in terms of sort of the work that you're doing at the moment is so important um, because I think we need to really start looking at sort of beyond sort of tomorrow, beyond sort of next week or next year. I mean, if you're in your teenage years, you need to be looking at sort of your 20s and your 30s. And yeah. Really setting don't myself just, don't up just for. live for the moment. Don't just live 100%. for the moment. 100%. 100%. And a lot of the time at the moment, a lot of us are looking at just the moment. Um, and I, look, no, no fault of their own. I think it's the situation that we're in. A lot of us have come from very humble beginnings. Do you know what I mean? It's tough. And I'm not here for any second to turn around to anyone and say, if they're really trying to make a quick buck, I completely understand why you're doing that. But I think this is where we play a massive role in making sure that um, we almost change that narrative and say, yo, you know what? That's not what, what you need to do. You need to really focus to take a step back and understand that it's not about making that quick buck. It's about making that retainer for later on. No, it's true. It's true. Another thing not sorry on, to bro. cut you. Another no, no, thing on, as bro. well, yeah. It's like even this here, this conversation we're having right now, you're coming from a totally different background to what I'm coming from. And I mean in a sense of you didn't go to prison and you've got certain um things in life. Do you know what I mean? Like so like you just said to me, you're in the field of work you're in, and now we've kind of connected. So it's like, all right, so we came from different walks of life, but it's like you're into your career. So the career that you're into and then what I'm doing, it's almost like now you see if a lot more of us start coming together, the opportunities that could be created for the next generation. Mm, Do you know what I mean? 100%. as much as I'm telling you my story and you're learning from me, I'm I'm learning from you. Do you get what I'm saying, bro? And look, we're, we're grown. 
you know what I'm saying, bro? So no. if we do all these things, if, if we keep pushing these kind of things together, we're going to create the best opportunities for the next generation. No, 100%. And do you know what I like about when you're when you're telling these stories is that I almost feel like you, you've got this sense of obligation that you want to touch the next generation. As in like you, like you said before, you've seen this life. You don't need a crystal ball, but you're not going to be one of these bitter people to be like experience it for yourself. You're almost yeah. telling them like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to advise you. I'm trying to shape you. If I, if I touch one person and you know, that changes their life, I feel like you're, I, I really tap into your obligation as, as a human being, as a black man, as, as a man who's got discretionary past. Like I really a, a, admire that. And I think that's something that, you know, you should be applauded on because not everybody has that same mentality. And, and maybe we need to spread that out, not just to people who, who've done bad things in their past, but people who have done good things because sometimes, you know, it's easy to, to see social media and different things, but you're showing us the real nitty gritty. And I think um, a lot of young people are going to take take heed from this. Yeah, 100%. do you want to know, the... know why that is? The reason Go why on. I do that, because there's, there's going to be, a, there is, and there is going to be a lot of people out there what glamorize my past. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I feel like I need to tell the truth of my story, not what you see on Google not what you heard on the streets and not all you think that you need to know the truth. If you're going to follow me, follow me for the right reasons. If you're going to idolize me, idolize me for the right reasons. Do you know what I mean? Don't idolize me for the mistakes I've made because I regret the mistakes I've made. So don't idolize me for that. And if, if that's what you want, I'm not that person because I'm telling you the truth now. Not mm. what you've seen and not what you heard, the truth in it out of my mouth, not what the media said about me. Not what the news and not what Google says, not what any of them think what I'm saying. Mm, that is so deep. That is honestly so deep. And that even there was I know that that will lead us into another conversation about sort of the whole at the moment you see the whole music scene as well. And that and that question whether it glamorizes the whole sort of industry at the moment, whether it glamorizes the whole culture, sorry, around go gang culture. I think that's a whole nother topic as well that I'm sure we need to touch on. But I do definitely agree with what both of you are saying around so making sure that we have this obligation and this sense of duty of making sure that we really bring about real change and talk about our story because um we we need to understand we've come from real humble beginnings do you know what i mean real tough tough positions do you know what i mean and this the system weren't really built for us to to make it so when we do come out strong and when we do come out the other side, I think it's imperative that people like you, K, the PT, are heard and taken seriously. It was like this setup when, when I mean, if you're growing up in neighborhoods that we've all grown up in, in some of these tight and uh, sort of overcrowded sort of households um, with the people around us who we love dearly, but at the same time, sometimes we can get caught up in some of the things that we've highlighted in this conversation today. I mean, this is no fault of our own. This is what we've been bought into. Yeah. So I think when we do come out of it, I think it's imperative that um, some of the stories and the wisdom that you've shared with us today is taken seriously. And like what Giles is saying, I can only sort of really applaud you for the work that you're doing at the moment and the work that you're continuing to do it. 
Um, and I think we, um, as Sharp Edge, will definitely be someone, um, an institution that will be key to keen on sort of working with you moving forward and really sort of pushing your narrative because I'm sure it's for a lot of people to sort of hear and uh, for your work to be taken taken seriously. No, a hundred percent. And I think um, just to touch on, on on what you said as well, Ed. Um, I think what what Sharp Edged and K the PT encapsulate is um, this no excuse culture that regardless of your background, regardless of what you've been through, we 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 don't make excuses. You know, we just get on with it. I mean, some people see. Um, perhaps me, me and me and you, Ed, as these um, guys who have decent jobs or whatever, but nobody really sees the process. Everybody sees, you know, the end product. And I think it's important for us to to showcase this and let people know that, you know, when we're, we're almost younger and temporary accommodation is moving your families around every couple of years, you know, like, like you said, some some of these institutions, some, some of the, the laws around us aren't here um to to glorify us or or to give us the best step but i think um what we've realized is that um we need to avoid failure and we don't want to be another statistic within our areas and i think um having different people from commercial aspects and from aspects as k to pt has, has told us is that regardless of where you start or or where you've been to there's still a longer journey and I'm I'm only hum- I, I know I'm still on my journey now, and I'm just trying to live a purpose-driven life. Where if I can touch one person, you know, and and change their existence, that's good. And I feel like K to PT, one hundred percent, somebody's going to be listening to this in a similar scenario to to maybe what you've been through or or what you're going through, and and can resonate, and it might even change their life. So I think platforms like this are really important not just sharp edges um which is an important one but other ones as well and i think it's truly important that we start working together even more and getting that um community built up like you were saying Kay, about having people from different walks of life and giving people a second chance but yeah no um and k the pt where can we catch you you know where 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 can we catch you? What what have you got going on at the moment? Um, how's the best way people can reach out? Because I'm sure you're going to be inundated and have been inundated with with people wanting to follow your story for the right reasons and maybe get some mentoring from you and, and kind of be an outlet because you you might be able to have experienced things that they can't speak to their parents about, they can't talk to their teachers about, they can't talk to probation officers about. So, um, what have you got going on? Where can people catch you? Yeah, 100%. Um, K the PT19 on Instagram. Um, True Blue Lifestyle on Instagram. True Blue Lifestyle on YouTube. And yeah, just um, all social media. So it's either, if it's not K the PT, it'll be True Blue Lifestyle. And I've had a few, I've had a few young people reach out to me on um, Instagram, a few young kids and telling me they want to change in this and that. And I um, I just, I just send them a WhatsApp number, send them a WhatsApp number and say, listen, but at the same time, don't waste my time. And more importantly, don't waste your own time. So don't reach out to me because everyone else is doing it. Reach out to me if you really want, if you're really thinking about changing, reach out to me and anything I can do, whether that's sitting down, helping you make a life plan or whatever, then I'll dedicate my time to do that for you. That's how serious I am. Amen, amen. Love that man. I think you're you're true inspiration to sort of definitely to to us and uh, 
So I'm sure the young people who have heard your story and that will hear your story. Um, and I just hope you continue the work that you're doing at the moment, bro. Um, big up yourself. And in any capacity we can sort of help and show, share your work, um, please let us know. But um, yeah, continue the amazing work, man. Let's finish the year off strong and uh, sort of continue this work um, as time goes on. Yeah? Yeah, definitely, definitely, bro. Definitely. But, bro, it's been a pleasure. Been it's a been pleasure a real, real still. Pleasure, pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me.